Hello and welcome to the Teachers Inspire podcast, organised and run by Dublin City University. Teachers Inspire is an Ireland-wide initiative that seeks to celebrate teachers and to recognise the transformative role they play in our lives and in our communities. My name is Louise O'Neill and I am delighted that I have been asked once again to curate and share with you the many uplifting stories about teachers who have made a difference in your life. Check out these stories and more on the website teachersinspire.ie. You won't be surprised to hear that there are tens of thousands of DCU graduates living and working all around the world. When you arrive in a new country and have to do that thing that most of us hate, networking, it just makes sense to search for fellow graduates to make connections and friends with. And a great example of this is RTE's Katrina Perry, who has a degree in journalism and a master's in international relations from DCU. When she was appointed Washington correspondent, she set up an alumni chapter to connect with other DCU graduates there. And she's doing okay for herself. Both of my guests today are alumni members and are deeply committed to education. They are Derval Lawless, the CEO of AINTUS, the National Adult Learning Organisation, and Kevin Shortall, Principal of St. Aidan's Community School in Tala. You're both very welcome to the Teachers Inspire podcast. Derval, if I can come to you first. Yeah, will you tell us a little bit about your history with DCU? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, So I started... In DCU, kind of part-time initially, I was doing a further education and training course in Dunleary Institute of Further Education. And then I got to go into DCU one day a week, which was absolutely amazing. So I got the chance to be both an adult ed and higher ed at the same time. The one yes. day in DCU, like what was that? What was yeah. the reason behind that? Or It was, I guess it's like an access programme. So this way they were trying to open the doors and include more students from different backgrounds and quite often they would be from disadvantaged backgrounds or different types of communities. So this course was opening its doors to bring people in through further education Mm. training into DCU. And the way that they did it was really complimentary because you got to be in the really supportive structure that is further education training um, and kind of build your capacity there. And then when you went into DCU, you got to enjoy, you know, the university campus and the amazing lectures. Um, But I felt for me, like I was so terrified of going to college. I was Mm -hmm. really intimidated. And by the time that I did go after doing that one day week piece, I felt much more comfortable. Um, And I knew my way around. I knew the staff. I knew some of the students. It was a completely different experience. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of how you started at DCU. Yeah, yeah. And then after that? I did the degree in education training, which I think I finished in 2009. Um, and then I actually went back and was teaching in DCU um, for, I think, about five years on that programme as well. Wow. So, yeah, my heart is in DCU. Yeah. I love that. You're like, I'm going to go. I'm just going to take over the yeah. place. Now I'm going to come back as a teacher. Um, it's interesting what you said about, I suppose, about not being or that sense of not being comfortable um, when you began, because I think, Kevin, that's something that you also experienced. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, listening to Derville there was going, wow, I've never met Derville before. Unlike, like she said that she'd met you before. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, we were, we were I, excluding I felt, I felt Kevin really, at I the beginning. Really, I felt really left out, you know. <laughs> uh, but we didn't have a lot in common in terms of our disposition about mm. going to, to, to college Um I never, when I left school, I, going to college never occurred to me. 
I think all the way through school, I didn't even know how college worked. It was yeah. just something like I think I remember meeting people at the central bank and looking at Trinity College and saying that's a college and yeah. that's as much as I knew. I mean, I, I heard the words UCD and DCU and th- those letters, but I, I never felt it was something that I would ever do or yeah. a place I'd ever go to. Can I ask you, and was that like, you know, from at home, was that, let's say, not an expectation from your parents or was it at school that wasn't like a conversation that was being had? Or Yeah, it was a bit of both, really. Um, I think I remember my mother saying when I was younger, oh, yeah, I'd love you to go to college, but we, we wouldn't have the money mm. as if it was a socioeconomic thing. It was okay. like a particular demographic went to college. And, you know, maybe it was that way. Not that I'm that old, but it was probably more that way he 30 looks great. years ago. Viewers, Thank you very much. Listeners, he looks amazing. I do. I don't look my age at all. I, I wear SPF, you see. But, but, um, it, it, but it was that, but it was also maybe the, the, the school I went to and the friends I hung around with mm. and things like that. Nobody really went to college. Like Some of my pals who I hung around with, they did apprenticeships and and they did really well for themselves. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even do that. Yeah. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, which is not uncommon. Which is 18, not uncommon, you know? but I think people nowadays are more aware of their choices. Mm. But the school I went to, it was, um, you know, you, will you get a job after school? Maybe mm. do this career guidance wasn't as, mm-hmm. and it was rigidly streamed as well. So the class I was in, none of us were going to college. Mm. And a few years after, uh, I'd been out working and doing a few different things, and I met this guy, and I was talking to this guy, and he said, um, "Yeah, I'm I'm training to be a teacher," and I said. And how do you do that? Yeah. How do you become a teacher? And he said, well, I'm 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 in college doing it. And in fact, I'm going out doing my teaching practice in the next few weeks. And I just went, oh, I'd love to do that. How do you how do you do that? Mm. And he set up a meeting with me, with the admissions officer. And then I realized I had to go back and repeat the leaving cert and do which you bits, don't get have few, to do now, just get, to clarify. <laughs> at, at, at the time I did, because I was I was still under a certain oh, age, yeah. or um, I wouldn't be qualified as a mature student. Okay. I left school at sixteen, did the leaving cert at sixteen, and I was just before my I was probably nineteen when when I I, I found out about um, going. So I went back and repeated the leaving cert in one year and got the points and got in and all just and it was a happen kind of just a a very chance conversation with somebody yeah. that made all the difference yeah. and set me on this kind of trajectory and put me on the path that I've been on for like 30 more than 30 years yeah. and uh, I, think, I mean you're a principal magic. I'm a school principal now and it affects me in the way that I think because I, I don't want anybody that I work with to not have certain choices or mm. to not be aware of certain choices so that every conversation I ever have with students is about what they can and can't do, what they mm. would like to do, but not not about what they should do, mm. but just that they have everything in front of them. Mm. And the same with parents and so on. I, I, sp- I use the word disposition there um, when I started. And there's the biggest barrier, I think, in education and in terms of educational disadvantage is a dispositional barrier. Mm. It's a person saying, I couldn't do that. We don't do that in this family. Mm. We're not able to do that. Nobody from our community does this. Mm. And those barriers, that's a that's a more difficult barrier to break down than yeah. than any barrier, I think. But it's it's so possible. And the other thing, that there's a narrative sometimes in the sky. And we'll, we'll probably get to this when we talk later on. But, you know, there's a narrative that you, you, you're out of the ordinary when you go, go from a desk school to college or you should be clapped on the back. And that's so not the case. Mm. So many people go 
now from disadvantaged schools and from schools like the school I work in with no fuss at all into third level and are so successful and succeed. So I think we're doing it. We're breaking down those dispositional barriers, but there's a lot more to do. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Dervil, about it? Was that being, you know, a huge barrier? I, you know, I was interested because I was thinking we like, even though we have probably very similar values in a sense, I actually would look at it a little bit differently. And I guess like that, and I didn't mean to interrupt you when I was saying about the leave insert, one of the biggest things that we always talk about in Aintis and the adult learning sector is that you don't have to do your leaving cert again. So obviously you did, but I'm always saying to people, no, no, you can do an adult ed course. Yeah. I mean, in mm. fairness, yeah. I thought of doing my leaving cert again. Imagine. And I did really well on my leaving cert, but I was like, the, uh, I mean, every June, like those kind of nightmares around taking those exams <gasps> yes. always kind of so reoccur. Tough. But like, I appreciate where you're coming from with the dispositional, but I think in a sense that's true, but in another sense, it's so complicated. And I heard it, uh, someone talking about this recently and I can't remember the theory that they referred to but basically it was around that quite like I'm from a very working class socioeconomic uh, disadvantaged background as well um, grew up in a council estate and I know exactly that many people in my school which was a desh school would have said the same thing oh no that's not mm. for me or whatever I'm not bothered but I think connecting to this theory it was around the fact that if you don't feel um, empowered to do something or you don't feel that you'll really have the chance to do that you're more likely to say no because you're so scared and there was a story there was a guy who was in my year and I remember bumping into him a few months after we got the leave and cert results and I was like oh how are you and whatever how did you do and you're, it was just kind yeah. of that conversation piece and he said oh I didn't go up and get the results and I was like why and he goes really? oh I probably did crap anyway oh and my heart it God. always stuck with me so I totally see where you're coming from and I know a lot of people do say that and it's definitely massively improved than it had before. But I think there still is a lot in there where if I walked out the door and talked to people in my estate now or people from different communities, I think they probably would say in, in a dispositional sense, oh, it's not for me or whatever else. But I, I, my heart believes that there's a deep down layer to that, that they feel that well, I wouldn't know what to do or I wouldn't mm. fit in or I wouldn't cope yeah. or yeah. or I wouldn't be able to afford it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I kind of think that there's always another layer to it. Yeah. And is that, that why, I suppose, is that why adult education is so important to you personally? Yeah, completely. Like adult education changed my life and I've seen it change so many other people's. It's It really is in its truest sense a form of social justice. Mm. Like to me, education is a vehicle for creating social change. And I think very much so in, in a great school education or an adult education, it can transform someone's life and empower them on an individual level where they will, you know, become more conscious of the world around them and understand things and be able to have these amazing opportunities and engage in critical conversations. But on the community sense, which really um, is so fantastic is you can have things like change oriented adult learning programs. And Paolo Freire is very a famous theorist in this area where you go in and you work in partnership with the community and through a process of change together, their whole community is uplifted. So it's really empowering rather than just one person doing that. Can you maybe break that down? Like, how would that work? Yeah, so I guess in the sense if you were to to do a programme like that, it wouldn't be like, say... Um, an average education program where where it might be designed with the best intentions going in and delivering this program and you know working with the learners it would be where you come in and you talk with the group and you say okay what do we want to do as a collective what's our aims here what are the issues we want to talk about what do we need to address and then talk through the different methods that you might use to do that so it's completely done like a co-designed partnership piece in the introduction there I referenced about like um, how graduates can use or I suppose how they can benefit from being part of that kind of graduate community. 
And Kevin, I'd love to know, like, do you, have you benefited from that? Or? I'm actually reasonably connected with DCU now. Again, there's a kind of a new partnership at the moment. A person who I went to college with, who's now working in DCU, who's mm. reached out to me mm. and we're kind of partnering between the college and the school. So, I mean, that's one kind of professional network, I suppose. Um, it, it, I suppose it, that kind of thing changes Mm. as you go through life and people you connect with Mm. and so on. I did go back and do a postgrad a couple of years later um, in college and kind of did a master's a few years later and I I suppose I had connections with the the college that way. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, Louise, but but though it's there there are kind of formal and informal contacts that you would have throughout your life that um, and they can open up doors and possibilities and and just kind of new ways of thinking about things or new yeah. uh, kind of and it's it's more in a kind of developmental way than anything. I don't mean it in any kind of a you know secret society way. What's going on? Blood oaths taken. Come on, I want to know the details. <laughs> but you know, you you connect with someone and you'd say, why don't we do this? Yeah. Or why don't we try this? Or would yeah. you come and speak in this way? Or um, so they're they're. And there's a willingness yeah. in DCU to do that. Yeah. Mm. Um, there, there's an energy about that. There's yeah. an excitement to do that. Yeah. Um, and there's a real kind of connection with the real world. It's not yeah. this kind of distant academic place. Mm. It's there's very there's a real praxis yeah. side to the college as well. Yeah. But I suppose, you know, I mean, the joke about like secret societies aside, I suppose so often when we talk about the idea of like old boys clubs or, you know, those yeah. kind of mm. um, those kind of networks like that really does so often exclude women or, or people from marginalised communities or people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And mm. I suppose, you know, that there are opportunities in those education um, settings to make those connections that can, I suppose, you know, help your career in the mm. future, which I think should be accessible mm. to more people. Mm. So that was kind of maybe more the point. Even yeah. I do love talking about secret societies, so we will, <laughs> we can go back to that. Yeah, well, I have a lot of experience. He's got to like unroll yeah, his podcast. sleeve. There'll be like a tattoo, <laughs> you know. Do, do you know the demographic in college and university now is different mm. from even when I went to college and then that was different from 30 or 40 years mm-hmm. before. And you will notice that huge diversity uh, and that huge, there's a much broader um, spectrum of people from different demographic backgrounds, but there's socioeconomic backgrounds. And I mean, they're saying that there. And it's so true. And the the later in life bit of learning that people do, uh, would you say, maybe you know this better, as, as people grow older, there's a I find in my experience that people from non-traditional college backgrounds do go into further education very successfully. Very successfully. I, I, I think. Agree. I think there's yeah. there's a kind of a realization after a few years that I can access th- this too. I can get there mm, too. Yeah. I can go there too because I worked for a good few years in, and I still do, but formally with parents. And one of the things that we were really involved in was helping parents get back to education. Mm. And, you know, even though you were saying um, there's no need to do the leave and certain and, the, and, the, and, the, and so <laughs> He's on. He's never going to forgive you know, for correcting him on that. But you should do it when you're in skill and work hard. There were people who, for them, it was the most important yeah. thing. Of course, yeah. And I remember talking to a parent and it was a lovely conversation. And she said, when I was in school, I was tall. 
So the teacher just asked me to get things off the oh, high shelf. So and that was what I was good for. Yeah. But she said, I've gone back now and did my junior and leaving cert. And I can say to my kids, I've done it. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and I do have strong opinions about, you know, measuring people nationally. And, you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't be... I, I think we need we do need to revisit the leave insert and I think we, we've mm-hmm. successfully enough revisited the junior cycle but there's also a sense of achievement and worthwhileness about formal education and mm. getting formal education that people do value yeah. and for me at the time I felt really good seeing how good I could do yeah. compared to the rest of the country <laughs> it just made me feel <laughs> it just made me feel better about myself yeah. um, and maybe that's wrong yeah. And maybe we shouldn't. I, I think we, 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 we test people too much. Yeah. And the, the problem with a test is that somebody, you know, there's always somebody that, that fails that test or it's doesn't, on a curve doesn't come up to that level. And yeah. that's not right. I think everybody should come out of out of school feeling experiencing success yeah. and reaching their potential. And I suppose that's different, you know, for every student, you know, um, like you know what and I suppose that's the point is that as you said like that even if you're talking about marking on that curve that everyone has reached their potential and those might look entirely different and then that's okay exactly success is different for different people yeah and I think that's one of the biggest things that I found as an educator if I had someone in my program who was terrified of formal education and Mm -hmm. then slowly but surely bit by bit they came in for maybe two days a week then three days a week then four days a week or they had the confidence to speak up in class which I'm sure is similar to school education Mm. those things are massive successes and I think it's about recognising that and maybe more explicitly talking about it that people face different challenges and success is their own Yeah, must have been very tough for um, parents who maybe had a difficult time in formal education or maybe you know I'm not sure if they're literary skills or whatever during the pandemic and then trying to help children with homeschooling like I just can't imagine how difficult that must be huge and I have to say to be fair to the poor teachers like you have children in an environment and adults who are trying to engage in education Mm. programs and I can't even imagine how much pressure it was for a parent whose child was getting their education sitting at home and it could have been Unfortunately, for some, a very chaotic environment, they might not have had Wi-Fi access, they might not have had technology. And then they had this additional pressure of trying to be a support system on top of, you know, the initial there already. And then the poor teachers who were then trying to engage with them through a screen to do that as well. It was it was the biggest disruption. (sighs) The OECD said to education that has ever existed, like it's absolutely Mm. massive. Yeah. Yeah, And I I remember I've had conversations with parents and they're actually saying to me they're scared. Mm. when the homework comes home yeah. for being exposed. God, yeah, that's You know, that's they're scared of being exposed. Yeah. And there's that, like, I probably have enough confidence to say to my children now, I just don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that maths thing. Yeah. Or I can't do it through Irish or, you know, yeah. ask your sister or brother. And that doesn't... I know. It doesn't make me feel bad. Yeah. But imagine. Yeah. Imagine the feeling yeah. of a parent going, I, I don't know this. I can't do this. I can't help you. Yeah. And 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 you know, children are very very protective of their parents. Yeah. And there's pre- plenty of children out there that won't ask exactly. because they don't want to make yeah. their parent feel, feel that bad. way. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, it just uh, we seem to be steering into a whole conversation about how divisive education can be. Yeah. And how empowering it can be as well. Mm. And it, I think if we can take the fear out of it. Yeah. And, you know, we, we spend our lives frightening people in education at times or frightening people about it, what, what education 
constitutes mm. or what it actually means. And uh, one time the word school, uh, the, the etymology of the word meant leisure, like only the, the most privileged people mm-hmm. got to do this wonderful thing. I didn't know that about yeah, yeah. they like yeah. only the, like Free only education the, the, the lucky 1960s. people. Yeah. The lucky people got to, this is going back to ancient Greece now, mm. but the but lucky people <laughs> experienced education. Yeah. And everybody else was jealous that they could get it. Yeah. Now it's like, oh my God, I have to go to school. Oh God, I, do you know? Yeah. We we need to turn it around. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. make education something that we're all really excited and proud of. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, that's, yeah, a, that's a challenge. I mean, but it, I think it would be really important to have teachers who are so passionate as, you know, as you clearly are. And I I, I know that you said that you didn't, um, I suppose that you didn't enjoy school or that it didn't really feel maybe that it was for you, but mm. was and I know again that you said that I suppose that your path into education was sort of, I don't know, shaped by this person that you kind of randomly met. Mm. But was there any teacher um, uh, in school that, you know, that you felt, see, I don't know, it was inspiring or sort of took a. See, part of it was my fault as well. You know, I, I, I don't want to come on. This is the educator now. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> so self-deprecating. the students. <laughs> you know, like there, there, was, there was days where I probably should have done more or could have done more. And, you know, we can go back to the whole nature, nurture thing of why I am where I am and why, you know, You're why, doing I, well. why yeah. I got where I got and so on. So, but my overwhelming feeling in school all the time was that I was... I didn't, I was a, an imposter. I didn't fit. Mm-hmm. I kind of had that a little bit. I still have that. Yeah. Right. There's no harm. I can rationalize it now. But I never met a teacher that said, hold on a second. You're not achieving mm. the way you could achieve. You're not reaching mm. your potential. You could do so much better. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look at this. Let's make small steps. Let's just take this bit. So I didn't know that I was, I just thought that I either couldn't do it or I wasn't any good. Mm. That was it. But then I met one teacher and one college lecturer. I remember a college lecturer, Bill Riley's his name. He's he's he, he's passed away a, a long time ago. Um, and he was the most to to my mind before I knew him, I thought he was a scary guy, mm-hmm. right? Because he had high standards and he was really bright. Mm. And people w- would get a you know feel really privileged if he stopped and talked to them. And he took me aside and he said, "I looked at your first year exams." And I've looked at your second year exams. What has happened? He said, you are so much better than what you've written. Mm. And that wasn't just a conversation. We had about five or six sessions where he, in his own time, mentored me. And in his hospital bed, before he died, did a cancer when I was in third year. And in his hospital bed, he called me to his hospital bed and gave me five or six more little pieces of advice. Oh my gosh. Now, I mean, that is dedication. No, no, I'll tell you something, though. And, and anybody who, who, who was from Matter Day where I went will know at the time I was, will know the kind he was. And it wasn't the advice he gave me. It was the fact that he took the time mm. to give me the advice. Yeah. And we need in education to spend time talking to people mm. and encouraging people and going, yes, you can. Mm. Or maybe you can't, but maybe you'll try this. Yeah. And steering people because it's, it's education has been for so long this, you know, throwing information and whoever can catch it and remember it, great. But the best education, and, and I think adult education is so full of this, is about a conversation. Yeah. And it's very much two-way and teachers are learning as much mm-hmm. from students as students are learning from teachers. Yeah. And that interaction needs to happen much more. Yeah. God, that's beautifully put. 
No pressure now, but you have to follow that. <laughs> well, she invented it. <laughs> what a lovely man. That's yeah, so I mean, my, nice. I, I mean, oh, that the business. Is, Honestly, wow. I, yeah. If you, if so we, I mean, if every teacher was like that, do you know what I mean? That, you know, uh, and, and, and it, took that time. See, here's the thing. We think teacher, you think of, you know, secondary school cross person throwing chalk. Mm. <laughs> but like, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Teachers are so dedicated and human and fantastic. But there is, there's, there's, there's systems and baggage and all, but college professors and lecturers, the human side to those people, mm. I couldn't believe it. Mm. I couldn't believe how great they were. Yeah. How, how into you they were yeah. and how, how much time they spent. I don't know, did you feel the same? Well, I bet you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was probably, you know, like pretty mixed the whole way up. Like there was really good teachers in school in my further ed course in higher education. There was one teacher, Paul Connolly, and he was my year head and he was so nice. Like he was a really kind man. I think he's still there. Um, and he was very gentle and understanding. There was a, a lady named Susan Burke in Dunleary when I was doing the course there and loads in higher ed. But I think one of the things that stuck out to me as a woman, I remember when I was in DCU and I was sitting in, in the, the lecture hall, which was this big, huge hall with all these people and thinking, wow, like, and there was a number of different women who worked on the staff there. There was Magella McSherry, Trudy Cargan, Jane O'Kelly and others. Um, and I remember being like, oh, my God. Like they stood at the top of this lecture hall and mm. when they talked about something and I thought they were so intelligent and so passionate and so kind, as mm. you say. But I remember thinking, oh, I want to do that. Can I yeah. do that? And it was really uplifting and it was that kind of role model piece where you think yeah. there's female representation in yeah. this place that I thought was massively intimidating, like only for the really fancy people at the top of life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Going to university. Um and then thinking, oh, yeah, I, I'm yeah. going to do that. And it gave me such drive, like, but there's so many amazing teachers on the way who I do think go above and beyond. And even in Aintis, like we do research with the National Further Education and Training Learner Forum, long one, sorry. Um, but we met over 3000 learners in the last year in adult ed. And the biggest thing in terms of positive kind of best practice examples was teachers mm. that they said the tutors on the ground go above and beyond and were incredibly helpful. And like that's a huge reflection on how difficult it was, not only during the pandemic, but that they continued to support them no matter what. It's amazing. Like mm. they really do care so much. Well, that was very inspiring from both of you. Thank you so much for coming in today and for talking to the Teachers Inspire podcast. Thank you for having us. You're Lewis. welcome. I'm Louise O'Neill and thank you for joining me for this episode of the Teachers Inspire Ireland podcast. You can hear all of the episodes wherever you get your podcasts and you can find out more at teachersinspire.ie. Until the next time.